Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 15th of March, 2013. And today, we are reading from the Big Book on page 160, the first full paragraph that begins, Outsiders Became Interested. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Meg, the 12 Traditions, Lisa, and then Robin, Kim, Paula, and Hoodie. The share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 14th of March, is 4087. 4087. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. OA's So, our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Meg to please read the 12 steps. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Meg O, and I am a grateful compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will for us, and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Meg. I will now ask Lisa to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Lisa from South Jersey, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what has been read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are on page 160, the first full paragraph that begins, Outsiders Became Interested, and we're in the chapter of Vision for You. And I will ask Robin to please start reading. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater in Minnesota. Outsiders became interested. One man and his wife placed their large home at the disposal of this strangely assorted crowd. This couple has since become so fascinated that they have dedicated their home to the work. Many a distracted wife has visited this house to find loving and understanding companionship among women who knew her problem, to hear from the lips of their husbands what had happened to them, to be advised how her own wayward mate might be hospitalized and approached when next he stumbled. And I read this paragraph, and I think of the two words, safe haven. Um, to, To find people who actually know the hell of living with an alcoholic and who are willing to share the way out. And that's what we do in our program. Um, You know, the service mentality, the service um, idea is so important to us. And, um, you know, I think about the people, all the people who are suffering out there, but also the families who are suffering. And the beauty of what we do in, in OA in um, AA and OA is that we put at other people's disposal our knowledge and our experience and our hope. Um, we put our lives at you know the disposal of other people, and this is the spiritual aspect of this program. Um, when I think of the kind of life I was living before. And the fact that that life has been radically changed because of a spiritual awakening, how can I not share it? How can I not share it? It's been given to me so that I can, um, so that I can live a full life. And as we read in, in um, um, other chapters of, of the big book in the first 164 pages, we don't get to keep it unless we give away every little bit of it. And then we're filled back up as we give it away. Um, So we're talking here in this paragraph about uh, a family or a a man and his wife who were not alcoholic but put their large home at the disposal of this group. Um, And one of the things that I hear about um, often, too, is the fact that we don't promote ourselves, but we we let our friends promote us. And this is a good example of that. Uh, what what was happening back when you know this book was was uh, written is the fact that the outside world was sitting up and finally taking notice that here was something that was actually working that was saving people's lives. This was a program that was working, and um, people were getting involved, even though maybe they weren't alcoholic. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Star 1 to unmute.
Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Hey, good morning to you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, One man and his wife placed their large home at the disposal of this strangely assorted crowd. (laughs) But it's a good strange. Um, We are people who would normally not mix. Um, Yes, it's, it's assorted. You'll find all types of people, all ages, the young, the old, the black, the white, men, women, um, from all types of socioeconomic uh, positions, um, but they gather together because there's an attraction going on, and the attraction was recovery. That was the attraction. The attraction was recovery. The attraction was that men and women who had seemed hopeless, that seemed to be uh, of a hopeless state of mind and body were now recovered, that they got sober and they stayed sober, and their families were being reunited, and their lives were being rehabilitated. And so there was an attraction. Even though there was an assortment in the crowd there, uh, there was an attraction, and that attraction was was this program of recovery, was the solution. Something was working. What was working was a relationship built upon God, and that relationship established through the implementation of steps. It says this couple has since become so fascinated that they have dedicated their home to the work. Um, again, AA grew by leaps and bounds for two primary reasons. One, the program worked, meaning men and women who were thought to be just written off or locked up, never to see the light of day, um, were coming out of the gutter, getting off the bar stool, um, standing up and becoming up standing citizens in their communities. They were contributing back to the work life. They were becoming the men and women, the husband and the wives that they wanted to always be. Um, And number two, the families were being reunited. Families were being restored. And so this allowed this AA um, energy to be ignited. There was an you know, it, there was uh, a, a fire within the movement. It says, many a distracted wife has visited this house to find loving and understanding companionship among women who knew her problem, to hear from the lips of their husbands what had happened to them, and to be advised how her own wayward mate might be hospitalized and approach when next he stumbled. Uh, I, I see identification here. A distracted wife. I mean, what is alcoholism? You know, I take a a look back on page 18. It says, an illness of this sort, and we have come to believe in an illness, involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him, and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness, for with it there goes annihilation of all the things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Anyone can increase the list. So these distracted wives who have had to live in the trenches with their alcoholic husbands now feel a message of hope. They now feel, they hear, they see a message of hope that these other wives who have brought their alcoholic husbands uh, into this group, and now these husbands, uh, these alcoholic husbands are now getting on their feet, 
out of the gutter, becoming useful again. Uh, this is this is exciting to the families. This is exciting to the wives, and there is advice being given, and that advice is the program of recovery. It's these action steps that allow these men and women who are riddled with alcoholism to be finally restored to health and to a new way of life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this before we move on? This is Judy B. from Massachusetts. Good morning, Judy. Please share. Good morning. In reading this, I just... um, was thinking about the first meeting that I ever went to. It wasn't, it wasn't at a home uh, that was opened for us, but it was at a um, a large auditorium in Framingham, Massachusetts. And I entered there and found a new way of life. I found I found a group of people who were talking about the problems that I was having. And they were explaining to me that they didn't have to face life by comforting themselves with food the way that I was doing. And it it just opened up a whole new world for me. Um, So the the place where we hear this may be different than than the uh, descriptions in the big book. You know, we may be hearing it at a meeting. We may be hearing it from a friend. But the same message is being shared. You know, people have been where we've been. You know, they've been through the the chaos, the 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 degradation, degradation, the you know the just the the horrible experiences that we've been through, and they have found a solution. And uh, I, I found it at that very first meeting I went to. I, I was able to identify with some of the people and and to realize that they had an answer there, which was just very different from anything that I had experienced. And and, it, and this ends with, here was haven at last. And and I found that after, after attending uh, OA, I, I had found a place where I could uh, talk with other people and learn about this program of recovery and was introduced to the 12 steps. And I'm so, so grateful that that happened. And I, I just pray that I can pass it on to others, you know, who are going through the same thing. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, can you read, please? Thanks, Monica. Um, okay. Many a man, yet dazed from his hostile experience, has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom. Many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. He succumbed to that gay crowded side who laughed at their own misfortunes and understood his. Impressed by those who visited him at the hospital, he capitulated entirely when later in an upper room in this house he heard the story of some man whose experience closely tallied with his own. The expression on the faces of the women that indefinable something in the eyes of the men, the stimulating and electric atmosphere of that place conspired to let him know that here was haven at last. And good morning, my fellows. My name is Cindy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. 
this just strikes my heart. It says, he stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom, freedom. Many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. An answer, not a temporary respite, not a way just to have a physical recovery from this program and be absolutely miserable, but has come away with an answer. And that is what meetings are supposed to give us. They're supposed to give us a solution, an answer to our problem. You know, I remember so clearly a, a girl that I worked with about a year ago told me that she had been in AA for, for many years and she came to her first OA meeting. And she walked in there, and there was a morbidly obese woman leading the meeting. And she said that she'd been in OA for 20 years, and she had two weeks of abstinence, and everybody clapped. And she was like, two weeks, 20 years? What is this place? You know, and after the meeting, the woman came up to her and put her arm around her and said, you know, sometimes the best we could do is just get a couple weeks. Well, what kind of message is that? Is that an answer? No. The answer is that we can become recovered. This program promises us that we can be recovered, ED, that the problem is solved in individuals, ED. We don't need to to settle for recovering. We are recovered from the seemingly hopeless state of mind. And I think one of the problems is, is in many meetings they can't offer an answer because they don't know what the problem is. We don't study that doctor's opinion. So I'm just going to give you some quotes from this doctor's opinion. It says here from the doctor, in his statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, must, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind, that this is a two-fold illness, two-fold, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. And if it was purely just an allergy, if it purely was just that we were allergic to foods, it says here the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So that is absolutely true. You know, I had an allergic reaction to penicillin when I was a child. I have simply not had penicillin since. I do not obsess about having penicillin. I don't go to a doctor when I'm sick and say, please, God, give me penicillin. So that physical solution of not having penicillin works for me. That's all I do. I do not have penicillin. And when I tried to work that same philosophy in a way, when I tried to work a program of abstinence only, I'll tell you where I got. I'll let the big book tell you where I got. They were restless, irritable, and discontented. That's where I got in abstinence only. And the test continues. Unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at first at once by taking a few drinks, so my only solution to restless, irritable, and discontent when I'm abstinent is to pick up the food again. So what happens then? After I've succumbed to a desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops and we pass through the well-known stages of free, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over unless this person could experience an entire psychic change. There is very little hope for her for recovery. So once again, the men and alcoholics who entered there, this home, came away with an answer. So what is an answer? What is an answer to that problem where I'm going to go through that cycle over and over and over again? I'm going to go back to the doctor's opinion. It says, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who have do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, 
the very same person who seemed doomed, who had, no, had so many problems he despaired of ever resolving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that he's required to find a few simple rules. So when we read in this paragraph that this man stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom, that many an alcoholic who entered there came away with an answer. We are told throughout this book the answer is the 12 steps. The answer is getting reunited with God. The answer is when we apply the principles in this incredible big book, we will become recovered. We will experience those 10-step promises on page 84. We will no longer be tortured in the alcoholic torture of mind and body because we will have recovered from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Sheila. May I share? Yes, go ahead, Sheila. Hi, this is Sheila, compulsive overeater. The last two paragraphs are significant for me. My first program was Al-Anon. And going into my very first meeting and looking at the faces of the women there and feeling totally despaired, I, I crawled in on my back. Didn't want to go in and kicking and screaming. I did not know what else to do. I had so much identification because when I walked away from my first meeting, there was just a glimmer of hope. Just maybe, 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 maybe there's a solution to what I'm going through. And guess what? You're not alone. There are other women going through the same thing. Now, it took me a while to realize that I had the same disease, just that my choice was food and not drink. It took me a little bit to get that. I was too busy focusing on the active alcoholics in my life. Um, the gift that I got from Al-Anon, I could never talk enough about it. There's no words to express that. But I am happy to say that I am feeling those things just in OA today and that I'm grateful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Robin? Robin, go ahead. Good morning. This is Robin again, a compulsive overeater. Um, I really like the definition of the word succumb that I just found. I, we just heard Kim talk about how we used to succumb to food. Now we succumb to that gay crowd inside. And um, let's see, it's to yield to superior strength, to yield to overpowering appeal or desire. And, um, you know, when I came in, I saw that here was something, that there was something in this group that, I was had not been able to um, access on my own. Not only was it abstinence, but it was happiness. It was freedom. It was joy. These were all things that had been completely abstinent or um, absent from my life because I had been living in the food for 30 years. That's 30 years of neural pathways being laid down in my brain. Want to stop, can't stop. Want to stop, can't stop. Want to stop, can't stop. And here I came into a group of people where I could see that they had stopped. And when I saw that there was this this power in this room that was more powerful than my disease, more powerful than the food, it was a succumb. <laughs> it was a surrender. And the most wonderful thing was that I was surrendering to people who were enjoying life. Um, you know, there had been no joy in my life for a very long time. Um, you know, he succumbed to that gay crowd inside who laughed at their own mis misfortunes and understood his. 
the thing that really strikes me when I think about this paragraph is the fact that when um, when we come in, we are so caught up in our own egos, so compl- well. I was so caught up in my own ego, so self-centered. I thought that I was, you know, the piece of crud at the center of the universe and that you were all staring at me and, you you know, my shame was there for everybody to see. And um, when I came in and I was taught that I could laugh at my misfortunes because now there was a solution. The meetings that I'd been sitting in, there hadn't been a solution um, you know, we would gather together and commiserate and complain about our common problem. We were living in the problem and not in the solution. And that's why this program works, because we live in the solution moment to moment on a daily basis. And that brings so much joy. There, there's just, and, and the ability to laugh at the silly, stupid things that I do or did. And I know that you all understand and you want to laugh at it too. And it's just, it is such a wonderful way of life. I really want everybody to join us because it's just such a happy way to live. Um, And it's the spiritual awakening. It's the spiritual awakening that has, has made this lifestyle possible for me. And I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning, this Margaret. I heard Margaret and... Jen. Jen. Okay, Margaret and then Jen. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning, this is Margaret, compulsive reader in South Jersey. Uh, he capitulated entirely when later in an upper room of this house he heard the story of some man whose experience close to talent with his own... And I just want to say, uh, I didn't capitulate in, entirely because I had been, you know, like Robin was just saying, I had been in these rooms for, you know, 32 years and I had thought, oh my God, so many times I thought I found the answer. I thought I found a group where there was recovery. But it was just holding breath underwater and, you know, eventually I had to come up. And uh, so when I began to listen, you know, on the lines in the last couple of years, I, I was a skeptic still because I had been burned. You know, not that people tried to burn me, it's just that they were... I couldn't find recovery. As I say, I needed a whole choir. I would see recovery once in a while, but I needed a choir. And uh, as I said on the meeting, you know, listen to the music of this meeting. So for people who don't capitulate entirely the first moment, just keep listening and keep listening and keep listening. And as time goes on and you hear the laughter and you hear the joy and you hear the recovered people, that there is actually, you know, a haven at last. As it says here, there's a haven at last. And then I started to relax and just follow directions and just keep relaxing and following. And and little by little, you know, it just happened. It just began to happen that my mind became recovered. I didn't want to eat anymore. And I had a new way of thinking because that's my problem. I heard at a meeting, an AA meeting, uh, I'm not an alcoholic, but we were going to some conferences in AA, uh, and it was just so good. You know, my problem is not drinking. It's my thinking, you know. <laughs> and uh, how everybody here keeps saying, you know, the problem is in the thinking. Uh, and thank God, thank God, thank God, uh, the answer I found at last. Thanks, and I'll pass the time. Thank you, Marge. Jen, go ahead. Hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Jen, a food addict from New Hampshire. Grateful to be on this meeting. Um, the words that come struck out at me, too, of thinking how many things I have tried to mold to fit my will. 
um, you know, starting at a very early age. For me, I don't know, it's a chicken-egg kind of scenario with body obsession or food obsession. Thank you, God, today my solution isn't in the food. The food is, is not there unless I have a health issue or my weight gets too low or too high or something like that. But I have tried so much like wrestling that elevator to make God give me my will. Um, you know, I weigh uh, under 110 pounds today when I never was something like that. But I still am not at the, you know, that perfectionism is the biggest character defect of mine expecting. It's like, well, I'm abstinent. I'm I'm not supposed to have cellulite. I'm supposed to grow. I'm supposed to not get wrinkles. I'm supposed to not need more than three hours of sleep. I'm supposed to do everything. You know, all these lies that my head perpetuates. And it's succumbing to the reality of my limitations, coming to the reality of who I am and how tall I am. It sounds weird, but it took a long time for me to accept that in program that I was not going to just because I'm abstinent be taller than 5'3". It does not make me grow, but it makes me grow spiritually. And I have to say, you know, right now I started a new job. That's why I'm doing this meeting. I was never up this early, but I have to be in, on the road between 7 and 8. And I prayed, God, show me a meeting, because now I'm leaving my other two meetings that I do during the week. And I just, you know, and someone mentioned this meeting, and it's every day. Hello, praise God. And I have to succumb to the reality of I can't mold my work hours, my coworkers. I can't mold the brains of other people. I can only, and my own is a full-time job. I've always said when I pass away, there's going to be a casket for my body and a ten times the size one for my head because my head just goes and goes and goes. It is a thinking machine. Um, and I don't win money off of this machine. So I'm grateful today that I have a solution and it's a three-letter God, and, um, you know, I don't put food in it, and I also don't take my will back. Um, By God's grace, I do not take, after 18 years of being in programs, do not take it for granted. I remember my head near the trash barrel using dishing through for food. I have those memories very clearly. I remember wanting to die over this disease, and so I have to go to many lengths for my recovery. And that means maybe doing things people don't do. I'm at a new job, and I don't eat food. You know, I'm an assistant principal. I don't eat food out of the cafeteria. Um, And when it's lunch, I go take a walk, and I need to clear my head. And that's what I have to do to maintain my spiritual fitness, or else I have nothing to give anybody else, especially it's a program family job. So um, I need to not overdo and not underdo. It's that balance that I need, that magic B word. So I'm grateful you're all here, and I I wish everyone an afternoon day. God bless. Thank you, Jen. And this is Monica, and I'd like to share a little bit on this paragraph. Um, You know, we're in the, the chapter, A Vision for You, A Vision for You, Hope. Um, I, I, I see a lot of hope here in these couple of paragraphs here. For anybody who's in here listening, who's, who's feeling hopeless, we do have a solution. This big book has the solution. The instructions are in this textbook. And yes, you know, um, it, we can be gay. Life doesn't have to be the way it is. And I know that's what attracted me when I walked into a uh, a big book meeting, and I heard recovery and solution, 
and the laughter and the twinkle in the eyes. Oh man, I, I was just so attracted by the the atmosphere in that room. And it was like, wow. And they told me, there is a way out. There's a solution, Monica. Get a sponsor and work these steps. And it can be for you, too. And I thought, man, I want this. And so there's, you know, I wanted to say to everybody, there's hope. There's lots of hope, you know. And how free do you want to be? And with that, would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? My name's Carrie. Leah. I'm a reader. Um, Carrie and then Leah. Carrie, hi. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I just am back after relapsing. And um, this time last year, I was my first time really working the program of OA, and then I went to my goal weight within a few months, and then I took my will back, and now I'm back at the same weight again a year later, and. Um, I haven't found recovery in the rooms, and um, I live in a part of the country that is very cold, um, icy cold people, icy cold place um, a lot of the year, and um, I came from a sunny western place that had sunny weather and sunny people and sunny meetings, and when I came, I'm just saying that, you know, I I just, I haven't found recovery here, Um, warmth and um, fellowship here. I tried. I did try. <laughs> I guess I didn't try hard enough for the right places or the meetings that I went to. I'm not sure. But I'm now just doing phone meetings, um, hoping I find. Um, I, I mean, I know a lot of it's about me too and God, my God, and the connection. But I'm just saying that for me, I didn't find what I wanted in the rooms, unfortunately, yet. And I'm willing to have that be different. And um, I just got a lot out of hearing everybody so far. I thank you guys um, for what you've shared. I um, am in other recovery programs for a long time now. Um, I I know you're not supposed to talk about other meetings, so I won't. So I'll just say that I don't have drug and alcohol, but I have process addictions is what I call them. And the process addiction for me is um, something that you have to be with every day. That you can't just say, I won't do drugs and I won't do alcohol and that's fine. But with food, you have to eat every day. I have children, small children, and a husband. They all eat, the, you know, the things that I'm not, all the white stuff that I'm not supposed to eat. And, you know, um, I mean, that's not, you know, sober food for me. And um, flour, dairy, sugar, and fried foods for me are my trigger foods and my little children and husband like to eat those and they're fine with that and I am around it and every minute and um it's very you know when if I didn't have a husband if I didn't have kids it would be way easier but um I do love them dearly and I need to learn how to um you know I have to do this program so I am looking for sponsor I am looking to work the steps I am working to get back on track and I have to be willing to be willing to go to maybe a phone meeting every single day I'm seeing because um, I did think I have um, one day of abstinence and then, you know, just got back into the food. Um, And this last kind of coming back like a week ago, I've been trying again and um, I just, you know, my other two process addictions, same thing. They're things that you can't live without, you know, that you have to, you know, you have to, with a process addiction, it's, 
the way I'd make that distinction other than like a substance addiction, like a, like a drug or alcohol is, you know, I, I love the AA book that we read from it and I, and I try to just, you know, use the food and substitute for, for booze. But the thing for me is what, what makes it different is just that, that you have to eat food. You don't have to go to a bar. You don't have to be around booze, but you have to be around food every day. It's just a beguiling addiction for me. And, I never, I haven't been a high bottom drunk with food because I'm, I'm, I'm like even like probably at a, a medium weight for that a lot of women would love to be at with my head and weight. But for me, I'm 20 pounds from where I want to be, and that's all that matters. I'm not comfortable. I don't feel happy. I don't feel free, and um, I don't look good to me. And and um, you know, other people say you're fine, but it's not about that. It's just about the process and the obsession and. Um, you know, just getting in the food and what that does to me and what that does to my, you know, self-esteem and my life and my freedom. And um, anyway, so I'm I'm suffering and I don't need to be t- 10 million pounds to be suffering. I don't want to be a high bottom drunk. I I, I want to I want to stop now. And I just I just want to say, you know, um, I want I want my recovery today. I want my sobriety today. I want my absence today. Um, and um, one day at a time, one minute at a time, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with meetings every day. I'm going to do it with, with reading the, the literature. I'm going to do it with asking for help. I'm going to do it with doing service work. I'm going to do it with, um, you know, getting out of my self-centeredness and my misery and asking God to restore me to sanity. Um, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. For that thank you, and keep listening. Thank you. Leah, go ahead. Thank you very much. Many a man yet dazed from his hospital experience has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom. Uh, Many a man. You know, it's true today what was true when they penned it in 1939, and that is rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. You know, this book that we study every day and this text that we lean our faces into and, and uh, relate to each paragraph, this solution um, has remained untouched since its first edition in 1939. Why is that? Why has the program recovery never been expanded or changed? Because there has never been any solution uh to improve upon it. There, there's no necessity to improve upon it because the same solution that was penned by those who recovered worked in 1939 and it works just as well today uh, in 2013. Many a man yet days from his hospital experience has stepped over the threshold of that home into freedom. You know, freedom is possible. This place is a message of hope and possibility. Uh, you know, there are two types of people that come into these rooms. <laughs> uh, you know, the people who recover and the people who do not recover. Do you know who chooses? Who makes that choice? We do. We make that choice. We make that choice because the program of recovery, when implemented, will cause a transformation from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, therefore into freedom. But that freedom, which is possible for each and every one of us, isn't free. There is a price to be paid for freedom. Most most freedoms are difficult. 
you know, and and that's true for for us here today. But you know, there is no question whether this program works. The program of recovery doesn't need to be on trial. Doesn't need to be on trial. You know, um, those who are recovered, you know, we we believe we have a better life today than we could have ever had, um, even you know before the illness. You know, because we say, bring us your pain, bring us your loss, bring us your failure, bring us your shame, bring us your guilt, and we're going to give you something more than that, more than that's worth. And it's more than just the simple elimination of alcohol. It's more than just the simple elimination of binge foods. It's wholeness. It's a it's a soundness of mind. It's a re- Re, uh, restoration of one's mind. It's a reordered life. It's a renewed life. It's a new life. It's a new happiness. That's that's what we have for you. It says here on the bottom, the expression on the faces of the women, that indefinable something in the eyes of the men, the stimulating and electric atmosphere of the place conspired to let him know that here was a haven at last. What is the attraction here? What is the attraction of these rooms? What is the attraction of meetings? What was the attraction of this room that's being studied here this morning? The attraction was recovery. That's what the attraction was, that there was something working in these men and women's lives, that they were not what they used to be. They had been born again, not in body, obviously, but in mind. Their ideas, their emotions, their attitudes that they had when they arrived, when they crawled in with tombstones in their eyes, those attitudes, emotions, and ideas had been cast aside, and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes were dominating them, and that was attractive. I know when I tell my story uh, behind a podium, for instance, people will come up to me and say, you know, it is hard to believe that you came from where you said you come from, that you live the way that you say you used to live, that you felt and acted the way that you used to feel and act. But what a tribute to these 12 steps, because I assure you I looked exactly like my story. The beauty is, when I personally crawled in with tombstones in my eyes, the beauty is is that on the one side I had the experience of almost two decades of mayhem in this disease, in this chronic progressive disease of compulsive overeating, and on the other side, living proof. People who were now ex-problem compulsive overeaters, people who had recovered. On the other side, I had this living proof that people who had recovered people who had recovered from a seemingly hopeless condition of mind and body. And and that's what myself and others who are recovered on this line have to offer you today. When we talk to newcomers, when we teach newcomers, when we speak about this text in the morning, we are living proof that the same power that restored these men and women back to full and happy usefulness has worked in our lives also. And whether the newcomer likes that solution or not is beside the point. We are the living proof of it. We are the living proof of it. 
This isn't about stopping. We've stopped thousands of times from compulsive overeating. How do you not start again? How do you find a way to be comfortable sober? And that's exactly what this program is about. It's about being restored to sanity. It's about having soundness of mind. It's about being relieved of the obsession. It's about being freed from the beast of this disease. It's about not having to have that voice continue to whisper in your ear. And this is not about glorification of self. This electric atmosphere is not about uh, personal success. This is about getting out of your own way so you can cooperate with the grace of God and be of maximum service to God and your fellows. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And Paula, would you please read the next paragraph? I would. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive overeater. The very practical approach to his problems, the absence of intolerance of any kind, the informality, the genuine democracy, the uncanny understanding which these people had were irresistible. He and his wife would have elated, would leave elated by the thought of what they could now do for some stricken acquaintance in his family. They knew they had a host of new friends. It seemed they had known these strangers always. They had seen miracles, and one one was to come to them. They had envisioned the great reality, their loving and all-powerful creator. And there we have a vision for you. This part, the very practical approach to his problems, he couldn't see that in this disease. The absence of intolerance. Look at every line. Every line. To learn fully the meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. The informality. You know, Bill W. writes on, on page 15. We see, and look at how it comes together here. We commence to make many fast friends. And the fellowship has grown up among us, which is a wonderful thing to feel apart. You, we use the words haven. To feel a part of this, the joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty, we still come together. We come together. Is that not the word we, we use, conspired, to work together for a purpose? There you go. I have seen hundreds of families set their feet in the path that really goes somewhere. Do you see they were going nowhere? They were going nowhere but here to go somewhere, finally. And where is that path? That path goes to God, and then from God to others. And set their, their, their path, that I have to say this again, have seen the most impossible domestic situations righted. So will never. What was the attraction that we talked about? Outsiders became interested. What did they see? They see miracles happening. They've seen transformations over the physical realm. Oh, yeah, we've seen that. Expressions on the faces of men and women. But it goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond that. It needs to go way beyond that. But that part, they had seen miracles. There it is. A supernatural happening. Well, this can't be happening. I mean, we knew the path they were going. Oh, no, honey. Their path was the transformation drastically changed. That part, and I'm going to read it again. I know I keep saying that part, but there it is. They had visioned 
the great reality, their loving and all-powerful creator. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Christy. Morning, Christy. Please share. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just love this um, sentence here. They had seen miracles, and one was to come to them. Um, you know, when I walked in, I mean, I came that way in 1994, and, you know, in the seven years that I was in OA, uh, you know, 1994 to, ni- to 2001, you know, I came in at 340 pounds, I lost 140 pounds, I gained 100 of it back, and I was stark raving crazy in 2001, September 2nd of 2001, when I came in, when I darkened the doors of a meeting, um, You know, I was done. I was done. And what did that mean? What that meant was I didn't walk into that meeting and say, I don't know why I'm 130 pounds overweight. I knew why I was 130 pounds overweight. I was 130 pounds overweight because I ate too much. I was consuming too many calories to um, expend the energy to lose weight. I mean, I, you know, I could not stop eating. I came in 130 pounds overweight because I was crazy. I was absolutely insane. I was insane. And I, you know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was sick and tired of being on that roller coaster, that merry-go-round, that, you know, that despair and bewilderment and waking up every morning, you know, hoping against all hope that it was going to be different and not doing anything different not doing anything different. I had tried everything I could possibly think of. I'd thrown everything at my problem, not really understanding what the problem was, hoping for a solution. And so when I walked in and, you know, and, and met a group of people in whom the problem had been solved, I did not walk in there and say, I need help, and here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what I'd like you to do. Here's how I'd like you to help me. You know, when people threw me the life ring, I did not say, you know, I don't really like that color blue. It doesn't flatter my skin tones. I'd rather have a different life ring. I said, I will do anything. I will do anything, even give up my favorite foods. I don't care what it takes. I'm done. You people seem to have solved your problem. You're telling me that you've grown away from the food. I don't believe you for a minute, but you've got a light in your eyes. I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it on the phone. I can hear, I can hear it in, you know, when the problem has been solved, I can hear it in the way people talk. And um, I could see it. You know, I was lucky enough to go to a meeting and see people in whom the problem had been solved. And, you know, if, if, they, if they told me, I mean, I had to go on blind faith. I had to go on blind faith. And I just said, tell me what to do. I don't care. I don't care. I've thrown everything I could possibly think of at this. And the first thing they did was describe my, my real problem. You know, you know, Christy, you've been trying to come up with answers for something without trying to understand the problem. And the problem is in the doctor's opinion. It's outlined very clearly. Obsession of the mind, allergy of the body. So let's start by putting the food down. And then we're going to work on that crazy brain of yours. 
And that's exactly what happened. So from September 9th of 2001, I've been abstinent every single day, every single meal, day in, day out, getting laid off, getting a new job, buying a house, having a partner die. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I have not found it necessary to pick up the food and grow away from the food 100%. I have no desire to eat compulsively today. None. That is a miracle. And, you know, I mean, I didn't walk in expecting a miracle. I walked in because I was crazy. I was crazy. And I didn't want to be crazy anymore. And I knew there had to be something more to life than living the rest of my days completely obsessed with food and me and what everybody thought about me. And um, <laughs> there is more to life than that. You know, I'm here to tell you that there's way more to life to that. I've been maintaining my weight for 10 years, and that's nothing compared to how I live my life today. You know, how I live my life today is completely different than any way I could have imagined. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Hoodie, can you read a vision for you, please? Certainly. This is Hoodie. Good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, compulsive overeater in recovery. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fast for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.